Welcome to the Practical Research Parenting Podcast. Here's your host, Nicole Weeks. Her thesis was on confirmation bias and decision-making. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Practical Research Parenting Podcast and the second part in the series talking with Associate Professor Sarah Blunden. If you missed the first episode with Sarah, I'd recommend you look it up. Episode 7 at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash sleep solution. You'll find today's show notes at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash sleep solution 2. So today we're talking with Sarah about her book, The Sensible Sleep Solution for Zero to One Year Olds. So let's get into it. Getting on to your first book, so The Sensible Sleep Solution. Um, so I intentionally haven't read it so that I can ask you questions with all the curiosity of my audience, and I okay. look forward to reading it after this. Um, so firstly, can you give us an overview of what it covers? Sure. It's got four sections of the book. Yep. It's The first section is about um, baby development and what we can expect in the first year. It's it's a type of book that I'd like parents to read when they're pregnant yep. <laughs> um, so that they're kind of prepared. I'm... I'm dismayed by the lack of sleep knowledge that is out there for new parents. Yeah. Um, antenatally there might be a little bit, but it's not really the right time because mums mm. and dads are not focused on sleep in their baby antenatally. Mostly it's about the birth and breastfeeding. Yeah. So this first part of our book is about information about sleep and circadian rhythms and what crying is all about and what children do and how they develop. Yep. The second section is the introduction to the under one um type of sleep sleep management that you can do, which we call the sensible sleep solution for the purposes okay. of that. Yeah. And it's um, what you do, how you – we use a method called the COTS method, creating opportunities to self-soothe. Okay, C-A-W-T-S, yeah. WTS, yeah. Um, so that's really um, as your baby gets older and more able to separate from you day or night, yep. then it's a good opportunity to try and teach your baby to – um, settle without you doing a lot of it yourself. So yeah. putting them down awake more often than not or trying different sleep patterns or sleep management techniques without being pushy but yeah. just kind of encouraging the baby to feel separate from you if yeah. the baby's feeling okay. So that's all about the sensible sleep solution and what it does, yeah. um, all, all that sort of stuff. The third section is about the parents and mums and dads and how they need to take care of themselves and how they need to... Um, understand and accept baby's sleep for what it is. Yep. Many a time we are fighting against our expectations and our desires for baby to do things other than what babies can do. Yes, yeah, very true. Yeah, and there's a section yeah. on brain development, which is interestingly one of the only books that's actually got a section on brain development and how mm. the brain uh, growth changes, of course, uh, development, but it um, – Changes sleep, of course, and sleep yeah. then changes everything else. So the what the interrelationship between uh, s- the brain and development, yeah, and the last yeah. section is a is a section that we kind of didn't uh, didn't want to be too prescriptive. It was a section on mm. having routines, and right. at different age groups, what would you do for a basic routine that would encourage your baby to get into a rhythm and to yeah. learn to self soothe without pushing, but um, Finding reading those cues and then having a, a, a quite a flexible routine, and I don't mean pre-bedtime routine, I mean sleep-wake routine and schedule. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So that that sleep-wake health, that is sleep-wake um, 
regularity is a very, very important thing for young babies and yeah. it's very underestimated. Yeah, right. So is that sort of scheduling the timing of the sleeps? That's right. Yeah. And, of course, newborns are going to be sleeping around the clock Yeah, because they don't get a circadian rhythm. That is an innate clock that tells us when to sleep and when to wake in relation to the 24-hour day. Yeah. That doesn't kick in until about three months. So prior to that, babies are often sleeping around the clock in all kinds of days and nights. Yeah. Yeah. Once that three months is in, we can try to encourage that baby to have a routine that might be getting up at around the same time in the morning. Therefore, we can be a bit more predictable about what time they get to sleep. And therefore, um, we're a bit more clear that the baby might actually be tired at that time. Yeah. Therefore, not only is it helpful for mum with other children or things to do that it might be helpful in our society, but it's also much more healthy for a baby to have a regular sleep-wake rhythm. So that's the fourth section of the book. So the book's got four chapters and covers pretty much everything we possibly think of that was necessary. Wonderful. And um, so a question that just came up was how important is the feeding in the the schedule? Like does does that actually affect sleep, whether you have you know, three big feeds or whether you have six little feeds, does that actually change the sleep pattern? Um, it, it does in the sense that um, we know that babies and all of us sleep yeah. better when we have a full tummy. Yeah. Not enormously full but full enough to make us content. Yeah. And, of course, in breast milk and or formula, there are most particularly breast milk, yeah. but formula if it's warm, warm milk has a natural sleep-inducing hormone and, of course, breast milk does too. Yeah, right. So they, they, can, they have a double whammy, both have a little full tummy and also the hormones and the hot milk that are going to make us sleepy. And if yeah. we get that at the right time of the circadian clock, then that's going to make a perfect match. Yeah, right. Um, apart from the fact that sleep health allows the regulation of other ultradian rhythms such as eating, sleeping, drinking, pooing, weeing, yeah. or everything has a rhythm yeah. and they once the sleep health is in a rhythm, then everything else slots in as opposed right. to the other way around. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So, yeah, yeah, so food food is often either before sleep or after a sleep yeah. and often uh, revolving around the sleep. If you have a cat napper that's sleeping you know, three one-hour naps or three half-an-hour naps rather as opposed to the t- the, the traditional and wished for two yes. hours morning and night, which I've yeah. got to say is very rare, right. um, um, then that it makes it a bit more difficult to put the feeding in around that. Yeah. But as long as parents understand that the regularity of whatever rhythm they've got is the important thing, that right. they have it around the same time, you know, within an hour or so is probably a bit flexible, but it's probably doable. Yeah. I, my aim in life is not to stress new parents enough because they're stressed enough as it is. Yes. Yeah, in that vein, um, there's a lot of advice against feeding babies to sleep and I think that's generalised a bit too much. What's your position on that and at think what age reason, sort of thing? Yeah, I think the reason that that's there is yeah. because uh, there is this fearfulness that feeding a baby to sleep when they're young will result in feeding a baby to sleep forever. Yes. And that whilst that is true, in that not forever, that yeah. once a baby de- learns the behaviour of falling to sleep on the breast or the bottle, then that in terms of behaviour theory means I get the bottle or breast, I fall asleep, I'm happy. Yeah. That's terrific. That works for everybody. Yeah. So that's a, uh, what we call a psychological reinforcer. Yeah. So therefore it's unlikely that when a baby has a breast or bottle in their mouth, they're not going to fall asleep. Right. And it's also unlikely that the baby without the breast or bottle in the mouth will fall asleep easily. Yes. And that's that's true. 
Yeah. But what we have to remember is, one, young babies fall asleep at the breast or bottle very quickly. Yes. Two, that does not necessarily mean that that will be forever. No. Because either the baby might get over that habit themselves if they're a very calm, flexible, easy baby. Mm. If they're less calm, easy and flexible baby, they may not, in which case we can change that behaviour very simply by taking the, boob, the the breast or the bottle out of the mouth at the moment yeah. of sleep onset and moving on from there. Yeah. So nothing has to be forever. All behaviour is learned. All behaviour can be unlearned. Yeah. And so we have to allow parents to do what works for them and to enjoy their baby yes. without the fear of thinking, oh, my gosh, in, you know, in six months we're still going to be doing this or one year or two years or three years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. And, and your approach is, is a way of once that's no longer working for mother and baby, you can work on changing it. That's right, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Okay, um, so... I guess we've covered in a fair bit of detail the approach. Is there is there anything more about the approach that um, we could learn from you? Um, I guess it, it's important to understand that every baby is different, every mother is different. Yeah. And not only do, do babies and people have different sleep needs, mm. they have different types of sleep. We now know that genetically there is a predisposition to lighter sleep and less lighter sleep. Oh, right. We know that some kids are more alert than other kids, that they do have the one sleep cycle. It's difficult to get them back to sleep because they're so bouncy and so alert. Yeah. So we are born with temperaments that um, assist us in doing different things. And some babies will be born with a laid-back attitude that will let them sleep anywhere and any time, yeah. and some babies won't. And the expectations that we all will have, the baby that will be an easy-to-settle baby because for some reason that's a badge of honour, yeah. Um, and it doesn't need to be. It's just really about the um, the child that we've got and how can we help that child to be as comfortable as possible so that they can learn the skills that they need and that we don't have to think that, um, one, it's going to be forever, two, that yeah. every baby should be the same because we know in every other sense of the word that's not the case. Yeah. For some reason in babies in sleep we kind of expect them to be. Yeah, yeah. So there's do you, is there an inherent problem in, for example, catnaps? Not inherently. No. The yeah. problem with a catnap is that it's a pain in the neck for mum. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Um, two, it doesn't help the child to re- get over that end of sleep cycle into the next sleep cycle alone. Right, yeah. Because if, if they're a catnapper and every time at the catnap we get the child up because they're difficult to settle or whatever, yeah. then it means that they're not going to learn the skill of resettling and at night time they're very likely to do the same thing. Yeah, right. And in my experience they do. Yeah, so inherently it's not a problem, it's really a settling issue that's the other thing. Yeah. In the big picture of sleep duration, it's better that a child sleeps four half an hour in a day than not at all. Yeah, yeah. It's just tricky for mum and or dad. Yeah. And in terms of the approach, so you're, you're sort of lessening the amount of intervention you're doing each time or um, sort of reducing how much you need to do. Um, how quickly do you change that? So if you wanted to get from, for example, um, rocking to sleep to sort of less intervention, would you, so you wouldn't, you'd, you'd start putting them down just before they're asleep yep. and then maybe a bit more awake. How, how gradually or how quickly do you change that? That really is parental in, in yeah. Um, choice, I guess. Yeah. Um, the neuroscientist literature says that if a, if a baby um, has 10 repetitions or sen- 10 rehearsals or practices of a new behaviour, right. 
then that new behaviour has been constructed in the baby's brain hmm. and they have a new neural pathway that connects those dots. Wow. So that's pretty quick. But that's, I mean, if you think about a baby and you just look at a baby, I can see one in my head now, yeah. kind of, you know, playing with a mobile that's hanging above their head or something and they kind of yeah. hit it with their hand and they hit it with a hand and they're kind of playing around, the arms are flailing everywhere and they're hitting it. Yeah. By about the 10th time, so the neuroscientist literature tells me, mm. about the 10th time that becomes an intentional behaviour because they now have made the connection that that one equals the other. Huh, okay. So that's how babies learn. So if that's the case, and I've no no reason to suspect that's not the case, yeah. Then if you pick up baby, rock them, calm them, to sleep, calm them, and then put them into cotton, pat them to sleep, or yeah. rock them to sleep, whatever you do, and yeah. you do that new behaviour ten times, then that new behaviour will be better understood after ten times. Right. Yeah. So if that's the case, then in your progress from rocking to sleep, to perhaps patting to sleep, yeah, to perhaps starting to pat to sleep, but not to sleep, but patting. Yeah. Then perhaps disengaging and sitting in a chair away from the cot and yeah. then perhaps sitting in the uh, in the doorway and then perhaps leaving and going to the toilet and calling back to your baby and coming back and checking. Yeah. In each of those sections in a, in a, uh, a baby of a certain age, the 10-time rule could apply. Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah. most parents would say, well, I'm going to do it until my baby is comfortable. Okay, yeah. that's great. And that could be short or long or whatever the parent wants. But if they want a time frame and they are seriously in need of a time frame, mm. they're really struggling, then that's the rule that I use because it's the best literature that I've got. Yeah. Because I've done the tests on the on the capacity of the neural connection to be made. Yeah. Okay. So so generally I guess it would be over days rather than hours. Yes. Yeah. I suspect so. Yeah. Which would mean that the Cubs method that I'm talking about, our cue-based responsive method, is a little bit requires more energy. Yes. <clears throat> more energy, more time. Yep. Commitment perhaps. No, not about commitment. It's about capacity, I think. Yes. Which yeah. is often why people revert to the more the, the faster methods, such as control crying. Yeah. Because it is faster, it is furious. Yes. And um, in sixty percent of the cases, uh, in inverted commas successful in reducing signalling. Yes. Um, but it doesn't it's faster. Yeah. And yep. so having said that control crying is not our first option and it's not our first option, when I have um, a mum or dad who are really, really struggling, we need to go fast. Yeah. We still don't have to ignore. Yep. But we need to go faster. Okay. Yeah. So you will actually speed up this process a yes. bit when, when it's needed. Yes. Because yeah. the thing about this process, it was, it was developed with the thought that we need to have an option where a parent makes a decision to say, I need to do something less or more or faster or quicker yeah. and I have to know what to do here. Yep. So this, the Cubs method gives a framework, a template if you like, yeah. and it is adaptable and it is flexible but it is not definitive. Yep. So if a parent wants to go very fast, if they want to sit in that room for six months and hold the hand of their child instead of patting them, that's fine. Yeah, right, yeah. But if they want to reduce that. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that does sound like a sensible sleep solution. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, what sort of age ranges? Your sensible sleep solution says it's for under one year olds. Yes. Um, so, yeah, is that so? Zero to one. Can you see it not working beyond one? Or uh, no, it does work beyond one. Just that it's um, the, the I said the sensible sleep solution book is yep. really about a preventative thing. It's not so prescriptive in how to deal with a problem once it's arisen. I see. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
that so there's a so there's a gap in in my book writing yes. about this, um, there is in academia there is but in in my parent books um the book about how you get around what i've explained to you yeah in a book is very difficult to do hence why it hasn't been done right i see um, because it's such, it's so non prescriptive yes. and it, um it requires quite a lot of background if you like and thinking yeah. um um it is intuitive Yes. Once parents allow themselves to be intuitive, yes. Um, but I haven't. So that so the sensible sleep solution is a preventative, more a, a very general. It's got the COTS method, and it does assist in helping the baby to become more independent. But once a problem's yes. arisen, it's um, it might there might need to be more more work done. Yeah, that's certainly right. from my perspective, from my clinical point of view. When I yeah. when I see people in my clinic, of course, they're way past the sensible sleep solution. Okay? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And often I see them, you know, after one, in which case it's hardly appropriate anyway. It yeah. does work. It does. It could work. The template works, but the response of a child over one is very different to a response of a child under one. Yes, yes. There a lot more. So, yeah. So the way that I would deal with in a clinical situation with a child over one is exactly the same way. Only you'd have to be aware of the fact that this particular child won't be lying in the cot quietly. They'll be standing up and throwing things out of the cot and all kinds of stuff. Yes. So yes. It's, it's a different kettle of fish. It is. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So there is a gap between that and the boss of my sleep. Then. Yes. Um, there is. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you have any advice for people in that gap? Um. As so I, I should explain to my audience that The Boss of My Sleep is your other book that is for, for three- to eight-year-olds. That's right, yeah. That we'll be talking about in the next yeah, episode, yeah. yeah. Um, and The Boss of My Sleep book, well, both systems are based on behaviour theory. Both The Sensible Sleep Solution and Boss of My Sleep book are based on behaviour theory. That is, yeah. child does something, parent does something in reaction, and yeah. child is happy with the reaction. Yep. And parent keeps doing it, and therefore it becomes a dependency. Right. In a child under one, we have no language to speak of. But yep. by the time a child's getting to one, 12 months, 30 months, 14 months, they are very clear about what they see. When they see you walk into the room, they're very happy because they know what that means. Yes. They know that when they cry that you're going to come. Now, they don't make a decision at the beginning of the day to say, I'm going to drive mum and dad nuts and cry as much as I can to get them in the room. No, they sometimes do it may feel like it. but it. That's, right. that's exactly right. Um, and it may seem very much like they are manipulating, but they haven't got that cognitive capacity. No. They do know, however, that when they cry, you come. So when you don't cry, they can cry a lot louder. Yeah. And, of course, they can do a lot more. They can be mobile. They can be running around. If they're in a, in a single bed, they'll be getting, getting out of their bed. So there's a whole lot more um, effort needs to go into thinking about how you do this. Yeah. Or the child. But it is essentially the same problem. If you have, for example... A, a toddler who is not lying still in their cot. So yeah. they've had their bedtime routine and they're, I'm so talking early toddler, 15 months, whatever yeah. that would be. And they're having a lovely sleep routine and then gets put in the cot and won't lie still. So a parent is lying yeah. or staying with the child to get to sleep or they're leaving the room, the child cries and they have to go back, yeah. um, which is often the case. Um, yeah. Then parent might um, stay with them and pat them and sit in the sit in the chair next to the bed, and they would instruct the, they could instruct the child by behaviour and by yeah. showing signs. You need to lie down, Johnny, and um, lie quietly, yeah. and mummy will stay here. If you don't lie quietly, mummy might go. Mummy will stand up. So mummy stands up, and Johnny goes. Ah! So mummy says, "That's okay. You sit down." And mummy shows Johnny how to lie down or sit down. Yeah, I'll stay here, and you just lie down. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Yeah. As an example, to say there are ways of getting a child to 
obey the rules of lying quietly in bed. We can't make a child sleep. That no. Out of our control. And, of course, we dope, dope them up and we're not going to do that. No. But all we can do is make child understand the system. And the system is it's bedtime. You need to lie down by yourself. I'll stay with you if you want me to or I'll come in and out of the room every two minutes if you want me to. Yeah. I'll do what I need to do to make you comfortable. I'll give you a cuddle toy. I'll get you to get your own dummy. I'll give you a nightlight. I'll keep the door open so that you can call out to me and I'll call back and you'll feel comfortable. Yeah. There's a whole range of things I can do, but essentially you still have to do it. Yeah. And if you don't want to do it, then I'll sit in the room and I'll just see you through until yeah. you do it. Yeah, so, right. So it's the same kind of thing, only it's just a different way of responding as it would be for anything else. Yes. Any other behaviour in the daytime that a baby or a toddler, early toddler or late toddler would do, it's yeah. the same system really. So that's it from Sarah today. Please tune in next week for the end of that interview. And you can find Sarah's book at www.sensiblesleepsolution.com. And I just wanted to add a bit here about maternal instinct. I can't talk for Sarah here, but when I talk about maternal instinct, I'm drawing on my PhD research into decision making. I'm sure there are also hormonal influences, but when I talk about instinct, I don't mean something you're born with, something you have or you don't have. I'm talking about how an expert fireman might predict how a fire will develop, or an expert pilot might predict turbulence. As parents, we become experts at predicting our children, and yes, we make plenty of mistakes, but that's how we learn. We often receive pretty clear and timely feedback because we try things and we find the source of the discomfort or our baby continues to cry or they stop crying. Over time, all these experiences accumulate until we get become pretty fast at predicting, for example, whether our baby will self-settle or just get more and more distressed if we don't come. We couldn't necessarily describe how we know, we just know. That's expert intuition. It's nothing magical. It doesn't mean that if you sometimes feel lost that you don't have maternal instinct. That feeling lost and just trying everything we can is how we build our maternal instinct at least by my definition of what it is. Um, so I'll add a link to the scientific discussion paper that has guided my thinking on the show notes at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash sleep solution two. I'm also very excited to announce my very first product. It's called the Sleep Options Wizard for zero to five-year-olds. It's basically a decision guide to help you to find solutions like Associate Professor Blunden's Sensible Sleep Solution that will work for your child's sleep issues. The wizard asks you questions and then provides tailored suggestions. I've specifically focused on suggestions for overcoming night wakings, bedtime struggles, waking early and transitioning from a cot to a bed or co-sleeping to solo sleeping. The Sensible Sleep Solution is in there along with many other suggestions. You can find more details at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash sleep options wizard. Um, so sorry, that's sleep dash options dash wizard and they're N dashes. I'll include a link in the show notes too. Um, so that again is www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash sleep solution two for this episode. Um, so please join us again next week for the third in the series with Associate Professor Sarah Blunden talking about her book, The Boss of My Sleep Book, for three to eight-year-olds. Thank you. Bye. Bye.